You're listening to Coding Blocks, episode 184. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher. You know, I don't have to tell you where to find us. Like, you can find us. We're there, I hope. Uh, if we're not, complain to Alan, maybe Jay-Z. I don't know. That's fun. Yeah, yeah Audible. Work. We never we never mention Audible, but we're, oh, we're yeah. on Audible, right? Yeah, we should be. We should update our notes. Uh, you can visit us at codingblocks.net, where you can find our show notes, examples, discussion, and more, and send your feedback, questions, and rants to... I, we should drop the email at some point, but right now it's comments <laughs> at codingblocks.net um, because it's you can actually like an old way to communicate, right? Like it's so well, old now. Yeah. Just, just go up to the website and click contact us and fill it out there and then, and then you'll get to us and you don't have to remember anything. It's going to be like one of those days where like, you know, like grandma still sends you a, a card, right? You know, for every major holiday or birthday or whatever, you know, grandma, like, you know, you're getting a card, right? And pretty soon, you know, it's going to be like, you know, every major holiday or birthday, you know you're getting an email from Grandma, right? That's, right. Like that's going to be the thing. <laughs> uh, the times there are changing. I actually went through my Facebook and like disabled everything today. Uh, I didn't. I didn't shut down the account. But I just turned off like the tagging and just like all the you know step one stuff. Nice. Uh, but um, <laughs> that's we, we do have a Facebook, and uh, you should uh, you should like it, like and subscribe because uh, yeah, it's great. Yeah, uh, because Jay Z a- will never know. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah but uh if you slack me that's the best way honestly it really is and there's a bunch of other people there who are probably thinking about and talking about the same kind of stuff you are so definitely that's the place to be codingblocks.net slash slack but we also do have a twitter at codingblocks and uh, we have a website with all the dillies at the top of the page with that i'm joe zach i'm michael outlaw and i am alan underwood This episode is sponsored by Retool. Stop wrestling with UI libraries, hacking together data sources and figuring out access controls, and instead start shipping apps that move your business forward. And shortcut, you shouldn't have to project manage your project management. All right. So this episode, we are continuing along the SRE book from Google, and this time we're talking about eliminating toil. So this should be fun because I have a feeling we all have some opinions on this. But before we do that, this is the favorite time of the show where Outlaw gets to read the names. So, oh, I have to read. I have to do all of them by myself. Okay, I'm, I'm up for the you? challenge. I mean, we we don't have enough of them to to really split them up. So you you go ahead and do this. Okay. Uh, all right. Well, double A from Audible. Thank you. And uh, okay, so here we go from iTunes. Franklin Mac Donadu. Donadu? McDonadu. I'm going to say it like McDonough that. McDonadu. That's pretty McDonough good. McDonadu. Yeah, yeah. yeah, okay. It could uh, be either. Yeah. I'll, I'll buy that for a dollar. Uh, Billy VL. Or, wait, in Roman numerals, though, wouldn't that be like something else? Wouldn't What's L in Roman numerals? It's five before 100, so 95, maybe? I don't. With a five. But blah, 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 blah. <laughs> <laughs> but but the five is first. Oh, whatever. We're off to a bad I start. Could, I could program it, program it, but I can't read it. All right. Now we're into Leet speak, and I'm definitely going to mess this one up. So, uh, Domage? Yeah. Maybe? No? It's better than I was going to do. Pretty good. Pretty good. Oh? There's some threes in there, but whatever. Well, okay. Let's hear yours. What was yours? Oh, Dom3AG. Okay. But you're dropping the last three. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I don't know what I'm doing. I mean, don't listen to me. What about I you? I got nothing there. Oh. I got nothing. Yeah, I don't, so I, I don't so know. So I did pretty that. good then is what I'm hearing. 
Yeah. Ah, it's only taken like, what is this, nine years? I'm finally getting the hang of this thing. <laughs> yeah. We we have been around for a minute. Um, but I got no hi-hat in my right ear. It's really killing me. Oh, yeah. That's so frustrating. <laughs> uh, it's, it's hard, man. Okay. I get the Eminem reference, but I'm not sure like how that relates. Like, my, I got no my, snare. I got no snare. It's really yeah. the, the thing that you meant to say. No, no, that's my hi-hat. Oh, um, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Are you like the Monopoly guy now? <laughs> Don't get it twisted. It was a hi-hat. No, like my, my right headphone thing isn't working, so I'm hearing you guys out of my left, and it's like, oh, man. Oh, yeah. that's what you mean. Okay. Because, yeah. yeah. so, like, I wasn't sure where you were going with this, because this week uh, it was announced that, like, um, all the candidates for the induction into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame were announced, and Eminem is one of the candidates. And so that's where rock I thought – you were going with it i don't know if you know but the rock and roll hall of fame has like all kinds of people in it like no like i didn't nwa is in it uh dolly pardon is in it like i don't it's called the rock and roll hall of fame but you know well well why have a country music hall of fame and all that then like that doesn't make any sense to me the way they induct people is really suspect too it's just ridiculous okay thing. all right that's fair yeah that's fair and I swear there was something I was thinking about too that I wanted to bring up here, but I totally cannot remember. So I'm, I guess I kind of take issue with you saying that Eminem isn't rock and roll, though. I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's a there's a comment to the right. Is that what you meant to in the notes? Uh, no, not that one. Although it was good. One of the reviews, um, he he modded our one of our dad jokes, um, and basically what what was it? Something like what do Spanish programmers write in? And he thinks that the answer should have been lisp because in, in true Spanish, Spanish in true Spain, Spanish, the TH is sound like S's. So that, that was a pretty good addendum or, or modification to a dad joke. Yeah. I'll take it. Yeah. Thanks for that. So I can't remember what I was going to say. So I guess, Oh, Oh, I do remember. I made a Saturday meetup folks. I made it to our coding blocks call on it. Saturday. Yes, nobody else came there, but I was there representing for a change. Wait, you so, were literally like the only one on the call? That's worse. Well, I mean, it's good to talk to yourself on occasion, right? Like monologues are healthy in some nice, situations. Nice. But no, no, I mean, um, there there were a decent number of folks there. So um, definitely had a great time. So appreciate everybody humoring me while I drove around picking up furniture, you know, dropping the phone, running off. So yeah, that was funny. Yeah. Good time. I made it. It's been like the first time in six or seven months. So yeah. Nice. Well, if we're going to, if we're going to like modify dad jokes, how about we start off with one? Let's do it. How do locomotives know where they're going? Choo, choo, choose. 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 Mm-mm. Lots of training. Oh, <laughs> that's pretty good. <laughs> that's pretty good. Uh, all right. All right. So I guess I w- we'll go ahead and get on with the, sh- the show here. So, oh, again, so we're done with the toil. We can get on with the show. <laughs> say, you, know, you know what? I don't think in the history of the 183 episodes of the show that you've listened to, uh, we have ever said the word toil tonight. Folks, we're going to say it a lot. Yeah. <laughs> we really gonna are. Say, we're going to say it with some vehemence and some <laughs> gusto. It, it's, so such right. a, it's such a really truthful comment, though, because like, how often have you used that word ever in your like, you know, your daily lexicon? Like, how often does that word enter into something you were going to say? 
No. Well, tomorrow it will be at work. I used it today. <laughs> today I used it yeah. today with the call with JC. It was hilarious. Yeah. And it actually I fit. Like, I was like, oh, snap, chapter five. What up? <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. All right. So let's get into it. The toil. Um, what is it? It is simply work you don't want to do, yeah. which is amazing. I mean, That's I guess great. most things in life are toil. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Um, <laughs> a lot, wait a minute. A lot of wait a minute. <laughs> Literally, the first sentence is, it's not just work I don't like to do. And you're <laughs> no, saying no, it's work. it is work no, no, you it's don't, work you don't do. want to do. Yeah, it's totally work you don't want to do. But it has to. we define it a little bit better further down. So um, it's not just admin, like administrative work or tedious tasks. That's not necessarily toil. Company-wide um, training? Yeah, like that. that is not toil. That's required stuff that you have to do. So you can't call it toil. Um, like they even talk about, right? Like some administrative work has to be done, whatever it is. So those don't count HR trainings, meetings, all that kind of garbage. You're going to have to be part of it. Can't do anything about it. Um, and they even say that some things that you do that pay long-term dividends, even, even though it seems like it's just really, it's brutal getting through it. That also is not toil because it does pay long-term dividends. Um, the, one of the examples that they gave was like if you're cleaning up service configurations that have just been like hanging around for a while and needed to be cleaned up. That's not toil because it paid dividends. Toil, um, an example that I was thinking of, though, would be like if you if you have a build script to like build your you know next version, right? But you'd never automate that thing and you just like – Hey, every Monday, uh, I'm going to issue a new build. I am going to actually run that and enter in all the parameters that are necessary to create the new build. Yeah, totally. I, I'll give you a real life one that, that just came up this past week is, you know, we have like a rotation of on call people and the system that we use is so bad that only a handful of us can get the listing of who's on call any particular day. So like one of our team members is like, yeah, I'll go in and screenshot the thing and share it every week. Right? Like that's toil. That's, that's, that's something that should be automated and shouldn't be difficult, especially given the amount of systems that everybody has access to nowadays, but whatever. Um, so to further define toil though, here is it is work that is oftentimes manual, repetitive, can be automated has no real value or, you know, it shouldn't be done that way and grows as the service does linearly. So as the service scales to more users or more requests or whatever, you need to add more tasks to manage it. That's toil. And it's something that a person does, right? So it's, it, if a person has to come in and, and do like what I said, screenshot something and and send out a thing, that's toil. Uh, but, if I mean, a ahead. machine could do my HR stuff. That would be amazing. <laughs> Matter of fact, I would probably pay good money for that. I could, I could totally like, you know, let it watch the video. Did hey, it you know, learn I, anything? I don't know, but I have, I have a really good example of oh. this. Um, and this isn't even related to what we do every day in terms of programming and stuff, but it falls in the same sort of bucket. If you are somebody that has a bunch of WordPress sites, when there's an update that comes out, it used to, it's gotten better about it. Like it'll auto update and do that kind of thing. But it used to be, you would have to log into every site, 
update WordPress. You'd have to then go to the plugin page, select all the plugins, update it, right? Like that's stuff that really shouldn't require human intervention, right? That would be toil. That would be considered toil if you were managing websites. That's, that's something that should be automated. Sorry, I was tweeting. <laughs> Wait, I thought you canceled all that. <laughs> no, nope, still on the bird site. All right. Yeah, I was trying to think like, uh, but I guess it doesn't really apply because I was thinking about you were talking about the the WordPress updates and everything. Because like immediately my mind went to like, oh well, remember the, like the administrators? They would be like, oh well, we're, I'm not going to let the updates go through until I've had time to vet them. And you're like, did you vet them? Right. Really, yeah. Really. Like, Wait, come on. What'd you do? Yeah, exactly. What'd you do? Just just like, like, oh, it installed successfully. So, okay. Yeah, that's good. (laughs) Like a GKE update. Everything's fine. Yeah, it'd be fine. (laughs) It's fine. Um, Yeah. And so if something is repetitive and it's manual, and if it can be automated, then you want a machine to do it, right? Like, that's awesome. The the only thing that they kind of leave as a caveat here is if it's something that requires like human judgment or or thought to take into into consideration here, then then that's not toil, right? That that might be something that you just have to do because you need to look at it, and make a decision. Code reviews. Yeah, that's a that's a great example. Not right? an example it, of toil. Right. Feels you like it. totally have that thing auto merge. <laughs> like 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 that's actually a really good example though. Um you know, we've got all kinds of build gates and things in place, right? So if you put in a PR, you can't merge that thing until it passes a build and it passes the merge properly. Yeah. That and the build includes tests. Don't, don't, don't shortcut it. Right. Um, but that's actually a really good, a uh, good point, right? Like you want somebody to pass judgment on it before you let it go in because somebody might look at it and be like, Oh, you missed something there. And while it builds, it's really going to mess up the system. Right. So that, that's a great that's a great point out. And tactile. Um, so one of the things that humans are good at is strategy, making the interesting decisions that you know kind of govern the long term directions that you want to growth. So the things that are uh, toil are things that are tactile. So things that are um, more tactics based, interrupt driven, um, have to do with the kind of moment to moment operations. And these are things that you may not be able to eliminate completely, but the the goal is just to kind of minimize those sort of minor decisions. And they also say, if there's no enduring value, right? Like if your service didn't change state after you did something, if you didn't make it better for the long run, then that's toil, right? Like that. Yeah, they they say that. Oh, sorry. No, you're good. Uh, I was just saying, uh, this is something they keep coming back to. And uh, you mentioned a phrase that they keep using too in the beginning of, it pays dividends. It means you do the work now and then you reap the benefit, uh, you know, over time. So you may spend a couple hours to set up those scripts or automate that thing, but then you save an hour every week or you save 15 minutes every day or, you know, something like that. It pays dividends. And, you know, I don't think they call it out explicitly in this chapter. I don't remember seeing it. The thing that really stinks about toil type items is it's not that it just takes time. Usually if you're manually doing repetitive tasks, your chance of making a mistake in those tasks are really high as opposed to like when you automate them, right? Like you automate things because you've, you've done that series of steps multiple times. So you know exactly what you need to do to make that happen. Whereas if you're doing it as a person, somebody comes over and interrupts you in the middle of it. Maybe you forgot to copy and paste that thing you needed to do, right? Like there's, there's so many things that can go wrong in that, in that loop. 
Yeah. Yep. yeah. It, it always works out to where, you know, you, you don't know it first. So you're like willing to, you know, manually do it a few times, but I don't know about you, but like there's, it doesn't take too long before I'm like, okay, I'm at least going to like write a script for this or something so that like I can just reuse that thing. And, you know, depending on how complicated it is, like we've talked about like using your command history to like, you know, uh, control R and you search through your history. So if it's super simple, like maybe that's good enough, but, but you know, if it has any complexity, especially like with things that are changing, like values that are changing, like before long, you're like, okay, let me just script this thing out. And then if you ever notice, like in the beginning, you're like kind of just having fun with like trying to automate that thing, that task. Right. You know, but then over time you like start to take it for granted. Cause you're like, Oh my God, it's so much better. Like I, I you know, why did I not start with this? But you right. never start with that. You never do. You always like iterate your way to it because you don't know what you need until you like get into it, right? Yep. It's like the first time you do something, you just kind of do it. The second time, maybe you take some notes. The third time, you script, you know, save the scripts. The fourth time, you you know, and then yeah, that's that's uh, how I tend to go. And then uh, you know, I always wish I'd done it the first time. But then, then again, there's tons of scripts I've written I've never used again, so that's pretty annoying as well. So yeah, it's true. I mean, it's hard to find the right balance, right? Um, but yep. it, it, this is also where I want to give a shout out to PowerShell, though. Like we talk about shell scripts a lot here and I truly hate shell scripts. Like with, with an undying burning passion, do I hate shell scripts because getting parameters and doing all that, it's just dirty. I wish that I did PowerShell on everything because anytime I've ever dealt with PowerShell, it just looks readable and it's easy to reason about. Um, I don't know how you guys feel about it, but. Oh, it's great. It's the best. Just like little stuff like uh, parameters, like having an easy way to declare parameters to a script. And like if someone runs a script without, it'll like, guide you to t- make you enter the ones that are required or not. You get autocomplete on the arguments, like stuff like that. Uh, if you want to pipe something in, you know, you get strongly typed objects. It's wonderful. Yeah. It's wonderful. Yeah. I can't tell you how many times I, I Google, like, how do I tell if a variable is like null and bash? And they're like, okay, <laughs> well, wait. Wait a minute, uh, because null or empty string is different. In some cases, if it's zero, and if it's bash, it's this. If it's fish, it's that. It's, it's like, oh, my gosh. Yeah, man. I, I, I kind of hate shell scripts. I do them a lot, but I, I really – I always consider how bad would it be to add PowerShell to, to my container or whatever, right? Like, is anybody going to get that mad if I do it? Well, let me introduce you to your new build system. <laughs> Yeah. Hey, better than Python. (laughs) Dude, that's, you know what? Oh, man, we're getting some hate now. Come on. Yeah. Hey, I would rather do Python than shell all day, all day, every day, right? Um, But at any rate, all right. So back, back to this. So the last little bit, right, to, to identify toil is, we're going to go big O notation again. We haven't done this in a minute is if you've got O of N growth with the service, right? So we already mentioned it. If as your service grows, so does the amount of time you're spending on tedious tasks. That's toil. Yeah. Like if you had to every time, let's say that you had a SaaS service, a software as a service kind of offering. And every time you wanted to onboard a new customer, you had to manually do something. Right in the beginning, you're like, "Ah, okay, whatever. Like, you know, I brought on the first customer, I brought on the second customer, not such a big deal. Once you start bringing in like a hundred customers a day, then that becomes, you know, a big chore if you're still having to do that thing manually. Right. 
Yep. It, we even talked about, um, you know, in previous lives, like looking at the load on servers and that kind of stuff. And if you're having to constantly monitor loads to figure out if you need to add another server to the stack to, to make it handle the, the request coming in, that's toil. That, that should be automated. Can, can we just admit Kubernetes has spoiled us? Like, oh, no doubt. You know, <laughs> think about like how we used to manage servers before. You know, and like, yeah, like looking at like, you know, what's the utilization? What's the disk IO on it? What's the network IO on it? Like, ah, you know, I think we're okay for a little bit, you know, but you know, before like a big sale comes along, like, you know, as we get closer to Christmas, like we probably want to like bring on, you know, a few more, but now we're like, whatever, I don't care. You know, it'll figure it out. I love I love it that we derail so easily. Oh, uh, did did I do that? <laughs> I feel like Urkel. Did I do that? Did I do Th- that? There's a dated reference for you. Yeah. So I just saw him in a movie that came out. Really? Like, yeah, like last week. Jaleel White. Wait, you, Wait, saw a you movie? watched a movie? <laughs> yeah, it was not, a, not. Yeah, I was not by choice. It's not a good movie. I'm not even going to say the name of the movie. Hated it. Hated it. <laughs> That's so awesome. I gotta know the name of this movie now. Right? Yeah. I gotta Uh, know the name. He's he'll find it. He doesn't even know off the top of his head. That's even better. Oh, it'll be like some major blockbuster too, like you know the new Doctor Strange or something, or you know. (laughs) And and Jay Z's like the one person to say like, "Oh, I hated it." You know what's even better about this is I derailed from our derail. So so going back to Kubernetes, you know what I actually like about it? Not the system itself. It's the fact that when you are designing software, you start designing in a way that makes it be stateless, right? Like back in, in yeah, I say back in the day when you'd write software, you just kind of wrote it knowing that, you know, the thing's going to be running, the server's going to be fine. But when you write in Kubernetes, you have to know that that thing can just get blown away at any moment and it needs to be able to recover. And so you start just intris- intrinsically working that way. And, and so your software as a whole becomes more stable because, Hey, if Kubernetes kills that pod, you know, it's going to come back and it's fine. It's just going to pick back up where it was. Right. So that's, I kind of like it that it forces you to think about your software in a decoupled, um, restartable state. It, it reminds me of like, I remember back when we were going through the 12 factor app series And like, there were so many great things about it, about that series that like at the time I was thinking like, Oh, I want to live in this world. This sounds amazing, but it also seemed like so unattainable. But now like in this, you know, Kubernetes world that we live in, it's like, Oh yeah. Like this is a lot of the, the you know, there's similar concepts. There's a lot of overlap between the, this and the 12 factor app. Totally. Hey, and by the way, Jay-Z did post this movie. I don't feel like we should say the title of it because it's got a few reviews and it's not high. Yeah, it's not good. Uh, yeah, it's, it only has a few reviews either. So uh, Why? Why? Okay. It, it's called The Greatest Inheritance. Yeah. Why? So the movie tricked me. I won't go into why I hate it because I can talk about things I hate all day long. But the <laughs> no. gist is... What There's made a, you go to it is what I'm trying to get out. The, like, oh, you saw the, this the and you're preview. like, oh. Yeah, the preview looked okay. So I, I uh, acquiesced. But uh, the deal was uh, someone dies and they go to the funeral. And like one of the kids asked, like, so where's the will? And there was a stipulation in the will that said, if somebody asks about my will within five minutes of my funeral, 
then it kicked off this whole kind of almost like a survival kind of survivor kind of adventure where they had to kind of like the kids were trying to do these like little challenges around the house in order to try to find the will and uh, inherit the property. Uh, and it looked like it was going to be funny and it was not funny. It was like, it was like a Hallmark movie, but the preview made it look like a comedy. It was not, it was like, I don't know. So let me, let me, let me just go ahead and tell you, I mean, this should like, you need to look at reviews. Jay-Z. <laughs> it's got it a 3.4 out of 10 on IMDb. Yeah. Now oh, without nice. looking, don't cheat. Do you care to guess the Rotten Tomato score on this movie? Ooh, I looked at that already. It's a five. No, it doesn't even have one. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh. Well then, not enough I mean, people are even watching this movie to give it a review, Jay Z. Like that. Let's be honest. Been. It's not because you thought it was going to be funny. It was because you saw Urkel and you were like, you know what? What's he? That's a throwback. Yeah. I didn't know it was Urkel. That's the. I was like watching the movie and I was like. Holy crap! That is Urkel, <laughs> and then I, for some reason, I remembered his his actor name, his real name, and I was like, "That's Jaleel White." I know this, and we looked it up on IMDb, and then we're like, "Wait, this movie sucks." What are we, what are we doing? <laughs> oh yeah, I totally got. And like the first view, uh, basically says the same kind of thing. Like, you got tricked. Like the preview looks like it's comedy, and no, it's like heartwarming and touching or something. It's gross. <laughs> Don't nobody want that. Yeah, it's a family movie. I don't know. I, I don't want to watch family movie. I don't want to watch comedy. <laughs> I want to see like brothers and sisters like, you know, yanking each other by the hair and crashing cars and stuff. I don't know. That's amazing. Well, All right. So, okay. Yeah. yeah. The digression. Right. Sorry. <laughs> That's a good one. All right. So, so getting back into this one then. So why is less toil better? Anybody? I don't know. I'm still thinking about the movie. <laughs> yeah, I got I got totally derailed because I was thinking like the type of movie that Jay Z was describing sounds more like Knives Out. Uh, I would I would watch Knives Out. I've heard it was good. It, it was pretty interesting. All right, so uh, all right then. So why is you're going to ask us serious stuff? Okay, fine. Why yeah, is yeah. toil better? Not less toil better? All right. So this is kind of cool. They talk about at Google, right? The goal is to keep each SRE's toil at less than 50%. And when they say to keep their toil at, that means the amount of tedious, um, non amazing work at less than 50% <laughs> of their time, right? Like stuff that, that doesn't pay future dividends. The repetitive um, stuff that should have been automated. Yes. The other 50% of their time should be developing solutions to reduce their toil even further, right? Or make new features for a service. Now, this was interesting because when I read that particular part, I was like, wait a second, are these feature devs or are they SREs? And they actually go on to explain that in their next bit, which is features for a service are improving reliability, performance, and utilization, right? So it's not... It's not making a brand new thing for the service. It's making sure that service is better overall. The point is, is that like if you spend more than 50% of your time on toil, which is stuff that, you know, you can automate, but haven't, then that's just taking away developers times. And if you were to let that go untracked or un, you know, uh, monitored or whatever, and let that expand out to other people within the team, you could eventually have like entire teams that are just, that's their job is whatever the toil is. And it's easy for that to happen too, right? Like we've seen it before. Like a lot of times, like if you are a person that's like a go-to person, you know, the system or whatever, it's easy for you to get roped into helping with every single thing that comes along 
And so all of a sudden your toil, whether you realized it or not is growing. Right. And now you're spending 70, 75% of your time looking at things that, that should have been automated in some sort of fashion. It kind of reminds me of, um, um, Scott Hanselman, because remember, I remember that he had this approach to where he was like, well, you know what, if I'm going to write it down once as an email, then instead I'm going to write it as a blog so that I can just share it with everybody. And that way I never have to say it a second time or yeah, write it a second a time. Point. Yeah. Um, the keystrokes, but they, but they do go on uh, to say that, like, you know, you have to be careful. Cause like there are people who would be happy with that toil. They will, mm-hmm. they will shovel that same ditch every day, day in, day out. If that's, if that's what you're going to pay them to do and they will happily do it. Right. Yeah. It's just not a good, it's not a good use of that time and money. Typically, it doesn't help right? the is, company. Is the problem. Right, is the problem. Right, right. Yeah, I was just trying to think. Have we really given many examples of like toil? I think That's we kind of maybe take it for granted. We've given a few, like the GitHub thing, the the WordPress. I mean, um, yeah, okay. I would say even deployments. Right, like if you have a deployment that that you constantly have to interact with. I gave uh, the build script it, example. The build script, yeah, yeah. Let's so we rehash the show for Joe. <laughs> Yeah, we could do that. <laughs> He's still thinking about the movie. Joe, in yeah. summary, uh, what we're talking about the movie. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was just thinking about like stuff with the like the show. Like I, I was literally looking at the show and I was thinking about like what it takes to get to actually like produce a podcast. There's a lot of stuff that like happens that would like I've been lazy about automating, like uh setting up the links, um, you know, getting creating the post, like scheduling like, there's a lot of stuff that can be automated there. And uh you know, it doesn't take ultimately a lot, a lot of time each time to do it, but you know, pay dividends to do it. But it's you know, a trade off. So I don't know. I'm just kind of thinking, thinking myself in circles. Is like a lot of times the things that you don't automate. Like what, I was thinking, like what's the toil that people don't? You know, if we're saying why is less toil better? Like what's the toil that people are most reticent to to like get, let go of? And it's stuff where it's things are important or you don't do very often or you know they're kind of mission critical so it's thinking like things like releases uh end of sprint type stuff like sometimes you'll have people go like write you know queries to kind of pull some stats and uh and things change you know maybe you know every two weeks or whatever and so it's processes that are kind of evolving and the downside of kind of automating is that it kind of locks you into processes sometimes and sometimes those processes like you get enough stuff built up around them and it's like casting them in concrete and then you can't change that's true so but I think so that actually sort of bleeds well into the next point, which is when you're spending your time reducing toil, that's the E and SRE. That's the engineering. And it's that time that allows you to scale the service with less time for an SRE or anybody else to keep it running proficiently. So like what you were talking about is when you build up processes around something like a release or whatever it is. It may seem like it's in stone, but if you are spending time engineering solutions to make things better, that could be part of your time to make it not so set in stone, right? To 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 free it up. And I think that's the important part is it's not like once you build something, just like in, in any kind of developer position, just because you built it the one time doesn't mean it can't be touched again, right? Like you should be able to go back in and, and make it better somehow if you need to. So. Yeah, that's the human element, right? That's the thing that's the human decisions that are around strategy that need to happen. Like you can imagine, like if you just had this company and you built up stuff a couple of years ago around like Mesos, that was like a kind of a uh, automation platform for, you know, releasing type stuff. And you built up all this automation, all these processes, all these wikis, all these things around Mesos. And then nuke it on the block, Kubernetes comes in and people start swapping over. But now you've invested so heavily 
but that's where you need a human to kind of say, well, uh, you know, it's time to change and uh, you have to be disciplined about and smart about when to make those changes and when to, to not. Do yeah. you remember swarm? I do. Swarm. Does anybody remember swarm? <laughs> you know, it's still part of Docker, right? Like you can yeah. still have it. It'll ask you, Hey, do you want to convert these things into a swarm nope. thing or whatever? I don't yeah, no, exactly. Good. Yeah. It, it, it sounded like it had promise, but I mean, Kubernetes just caught on too strong. Um, so they also say here when Google hires an SRE, it's like their promise to the SRE that they're going to keep their toilet 50% or less. And, and Google takes it very seriously. They try very hard to ensure that the group doesn't turn into a full-time ops organization, right? Because they hired people that have software skills to help solve these problems, right? Like they don't want them doing a bunch of repetitive tasks. You know, uh, let me see if I can find this again. Cause I found this interesting thing. I don't know if you, if you agree with this because <clears throat> you, you, when you brought, when you said the ops uh, focus team, that's what made me think about this. So uh, there was a, I, I was doing a Google search just to see like what else SRE related might come be out there. And uh, you know how Google will give you like other suggestions, like people also ask one of them is what, what is SRE versus DevOps and uh, the little synopsis that came back and it was in a nutshell, DevOps engineers and, and picture like a Venn diagram, right? Where there's like a, just a little bit of overlap between SRE and DevOps in a nutshell, DevOps engineers are ops focused engineers who solve development pipeline problems, development pipeline problems, site reliability engineers are development focused so not ops focused, but development focused engineers who solve operational scale and reliability problems. Now, this is, mm-hmm. agree, disagree. Uh, I, I think <laughs> I disagree only because, so I, I joked with you a lot about it. Just so you twitch back when we were doing the DevOps stuff, right? Like, oh, I when, know, you like to like, it, you know. <laughs> Seven, and it wasn't it just you, right? Like our, our buddy Bobby, right? Like I just love to see him be like, hey, no, <laughs> you know, seven minute abs. Um, the, the whole DevOps as a role thing or as a title, I, I still sort of agree that it, it shouldn't be right. Like everybody should be involved in it. So I guess if you're saying a DevOps engineer, maybe I don't know. Um, but I see DevOps as you're a software developer who has to be involved in the operations, right? But I also see that kind of being the biggest difference to me between DevOps and SRE, at least from from the things that we've read and things that I've seen, is DevOps is typically a developer is, is software feature-based type stuff. And SRE is literally on stability, performance, of the software that was already written, right? Like, and, and writing software to make that experience better. So I don't see them in the light that that thing said. But it sounded like you just kind of summarized it though. You said DevOps was more operations focused. I'm saying they're they more feature focused engineers who solve development pipeline problems. Right. That's what the SRE sounds like to me more so than what the, I, I put the uh, quote in the notes there for you. You can see it. Let me read it again. And it's a, yeah, no, no, I'm saying DevOps. So again, we've talked about it. Like DevOps as an engineer title doesn't, I mean, maybe it exists out there, but when I talk about DevOps, I'm talking about software developers that write software that people use 
And then you have to be involved in the operations because you're the one who knows how it works, right? So it's not fair to hand it off to an operations team. Not ops focused. You are focused on building software that people use, but you're involved in the operations to help the operations team be able to to deploy it, deliver it, whatever. Mm-hmm. So that's where it's different for me. I don't think they are ops focused. They're ops involved. SRE seems to be exactly what that says, which is they are ops focused and focused on making the operations better through software. So, well, here's what here's different. What I'm going to have this quote in there in the uh, in the show notes along with the link, and I'm going to say Alan approved, and you know I'll, I'll even quote it as Alan <laughs> That's said this. Wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, if you're listening to this and you're like, "Whoa, wait a minute," I totally agree, or "Totally don't," dis- I totally disagree, uh, or I almost said, "You totally don't disagree." Um, uh, send put a comment. In the show notes uh, for this episode, this is uh, episode 184, so net slash episode 184, and uh, you can have a chance to win a physical or audible copy of the book. How's that? That's right. That's right. Good call. Hey, what did you think, Jay-Z, uh, this DevOps engineer versus SRE? I think they're thinking both your roles. <laughs> And, uh, I don't really, yeah, I mean, I guess I do think of DevOps as being more associated with actual like, continuous integration pipeline. And the SRE seems to be more about, uh, kind of heavier on the ops and, uh, just more almost like serving the business. So like, there's a lot of things that we didn't talk about with DevOps, like figuring out, uh, budgets for things and, um, you know, re- almost like release schedules and, and things like that. Um, so sort of. So uh, if we're all going to give our take, I would say that I think that there's a lot of overlap between them and that um, the DevOps is more of like the culture of like, hey, we're going to, you know, automate things and we're going to, you know, we're, we're in, you know, Alan said we're ops involved. <laughs> so, so uh, coin that, sir. <laughs> but, but the, um, the SRE, I think, you know, there's a lot of DevOps principles that they're following too. But they are definitely focused on like, okay, how can we take what was created and make it in better for at scale and, yeah. and improve the reliability? That, that's what I've gathered so far is the SRE responsibility. Whereas, you know, the, the, the feature teams that, that are developing new features, they're, they're definitely going to, I would assume that, that, you know, they would have in Google some very DevOps centric you know, minded uh, processes, even for teams that are developing new features. Right. But it's not, I don't see it as just a necessarily build only related. I think one of you said something similar to that. Yeah. Yeah, I did. It's just kind of my uh, biases. (laughs) He's trying to try to put people in the corner, put baby in the corner. Oh, all right. So the next part, I actually like this one quite a bit, calculating toil. Um, so <laughs> here we go. Math of my chicken. That's right. <laughs> we got some Get ready for some numbers. <laughs> That's right. 1%, baby. Yeah, well, um, this is going to be addition and division. <laughs> it's something. Um, so <laughs> they gave an example. And what's interesting is that they, they kind of go hand in hand. They give an example of a six-person team. So – it looks like for every person, they add a week cycle to it. So 
If you have six persons, then you have six weeks and that's your cycle. So they said you have to assume every, every person has one week of primary on call and one week of secondary on call. And that means then that each person, two of their six week cycle is going to be on call with interrupt type work, which would be toil. Right. And so that means that given that ratio two out of six, you're spending 33% of your time on toil at most. Oh, at most is what it's supposed to be. If you have an eight person team, then again, two of that eight weeks is going to be on, you know, interrupt based work. So now two out of eight, you're at 25%. So again, that should sort of be now they didn't say at most, they actually said that's your floor, right? That's, that's the, uh, that's the least amount of toil you'll spend your time on. So you're guaranteed when you're on call that you're spending those two weeks on toil. And then there may be additional toil afterwards if there's a problem or an outage or whatever. Right. So, so those are your floor. That's actually what they mentioned. Was it that way? I thought it was like, that was the most amount of toil that you would get. Cause like, hopefully you're not toil you're lower like- bound is what they called it. So your on call weeks as a por- as a percentage of your total week in the cycle is your lower bound because th- that's kind of what they got at is when you're on call you're not really doing any engineering work you're looking at logs you're making sure things are good all that right um well, their but then on call we- must be different than my on call because oh wait <laughs> right yeah no your on call is we're working and we're managing toil yeah um, <laughs> just can you imagine you're like a Google interviewer like well I mean come on now. <laughs> Mm-hmm. It's not. I mean, come on. When you're on call, you're not right, really on call, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> but but I did like the uh, the. I don't. Uh, this was totally the wrong thing to take away from this part, though. But I was like, oh, a whole week on, and then you know you're done, right? Right. Like, just get it one and done. Get it out of the way. Yeah. Wouldn't that be and nice I was like, to oh, a certain degree. Imagine, you know, like. But there was also something to be said about again t- the wrong, complete wrong takeaways, right? Because <laughs> I'm like, well. If you if you were on call for that long, like you would feel some pains, right? You would know, like, oh yeah, oh these are the problems, right? Whereas if you only did it like one day out of the month, for example, it'd be really easy for you to be like, oh, I got it on a Sunday, like Not you my know, problem. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, that's know. a really good point. I didn't think about that. Um, I was I just thought one out of six. I had the uh, opposite. I was like one out of six. I'm on call. Ooh. But I mean, it's great to be able to see the same kind of problems. Like that's uh, that's really interesting. Also, like by the way, how you're like, here's a bad take. Let's double click on it. <laughs> just saying. Wait, hit, what, there was a bad. I double clicked on what? Just thought you're like, here's a bad take. This is the wrong takeaway. Oh, let's go. Let's dive in. Right. <laughs> it, was, yeah. it was funny. I thought it was funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I like it. I although I do like that whole that. I think it was a good takeaway. The bad take is a good takeaway because yeah. what you said is totally legit. If you spend a week in pain, then that will probably help drive the strategy on what you plan on engineering when it's when it's time to go fix some stuff, right? So, now, this is when I thought that that 25 or 33% was like the upper bound. I didn't, re- you know, I, I misread that, I guess, because I was reading, as I was reading, I was had this other fantasy in my mind of like, oh, yeah, you would actually get to see it. And I missed the lower bound part, but yeah. Yeah. So check this out. They they actually do internal surveys at Google to find out, you know, what people say that their actual toil time spent was. And so the SREs reported that their toil is spent most on interrupts, which are non-urgent service-related messages. Then 
on-call urgent responses, so things when things go wrong, and then releases and pushes. So that's kind of good. That's that's sort of what you'd expect or what you'd hope to hear, right? Um, and then they also said that on average, which I thought this was hilarious, especially after the previous chapter where they said never use averages because they suck. Yeah. Right? And then they're like, here's some averages. <laughs> here's an average. I was like, oh, yeah. All right. That's fine. You try to bury some numbers. Um, but what they did say is the average SRE spends less than 30% or, or close to 33% of their time on toil. So about a third, right? So in that six week cycle, they're really only spending two weeks on it. Um, but they did mention that they had outliers, right? Yeah, and it was interesting. They said some people uh, actually spent zero time toiling, which is pretty cool. And some people went as high as 80%, which is you know interesting that it wasn't higher. Yeah, but, so the uh, person who got zero. the zero time toiling, like their week happened to always line up on company holidays, <laughs> like yeah. Christmas or something or Thanksgiving. And they're like, oh, it's so hard. Yeah, well, I was wondering, it's like, when did they, like, when did they survey these people? When did they watch? Like, was it over a two week period? And they happened to be on vacation, you know, or like, was it over a year? And if it's over a year, like, think about someone measuring, like, how much time you spend in Jira and how much time you spend in the wiki, like, ugh, for a year. Does it, did it not make you think that maybe these people that spend 0% of time on toil are the ones that everybody's like, I don't want to deal with that dude? Yeah. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Or, or, or this girl or this, this guy, this girl, whatever, like, uh, no, nah, I don't want to talk to them. Yeah. I figured uh, like instantly my mind was like one of two things. They're kicking back and making all the strategic decisions for everybody. Thanks. Or no one wants them to touch anything. <laughs> right. Thanks. Yeah. Um, they did say though, that when they find that somebody or a team of people are, are taking on too much toil, that it's up to the manager to fix that, right? To, to spread that out somehow. So, right. you know, they're, they're constantly evaluating it, which is, you know, kudos to Google for, for doing that, right? Um, because ultimately it helps them as a company. Yeah, it was good. This episode is sponsored by Retool. Building internal tools from scratch is slow. It takes a lot of engineering time and resources, so most companies just resign to prioritizing a select few and settling for inefficient hacks and workarounds for every other internal business process. Retool helps developers build internal tools faster so they can focus development time on the core product. Retool offers a complete UI component library, so building forms, tables, and workflows is easy as drag and drop. More importantly, Retool connects to basically any data source, database, or API, offers app environments, permissions, and SSO out of the box, and offers an escape hatch to use custom JavaScript when you need it. With Retool, you can build user dashboards, database GUIs, CRUD apps, and any other software to speed up and simplify your work without Googling for component libraries, debugging dependencies, or rewriting boilerplate code. Thousands of teams at companies like Amazon, DoorDash, Peloton, and Brex collaborate around custom-built retool apps to solve internal workflows. So to learn more, go to retool.com. That's R-E-T-O-O-L.com and learn more today. All right. Well, um, which one of us are... I can't, it can't be Jay-Z this time. It just nope, it can't be. Like, I think we learned Although our lesson... It worked. Uh, did it? I, I smashed that zero stars. <laughs> yeah. So just, real quick, if you have bad reviews, go, just go ahead and leave it. We'll love it. Thanks. What? Oh, no. Yeah, I did it. I just did it. <laughs> Boom. Stuck it in there. Done. So uh, let's Thanks. never, let's cut his mic off. Never let him speak again. Can you just go That's ahead right. and mute him right now? Uh, yeah. There we go. 
and I will be sure to cut out all of his audio from the show. Uh, but if you haven't already, you could uh, leave us a review. We would greatly appreciate it. You can find some helpful links at www.codingblocks.net slash review. And with that, we head into my favorite portion of the show. Survey says. All right. <clears throat> so a few episodes back, we asked, what percentage of time does your team devote to technical debt per release cycle? This one actually lines up pretty well with, you know, this uh, SRE topic, I thought. All right. So your choices were 100%. It's all we do. I don't even know if we have customers. Or 75%-ish, we don't care for new features. <laughs> or about 50%. We're equally slaying last release's technical debt while we introduce this release's technical debt. Or around 25%. We're accumulating technical debt faster than we're paying it off. Or roughly 10%. We've got too many new features to deliver to care. Or lastly, technical debt. Why would anyone address that? You'll completely rewrite the application before it comes due. So one, uh, blah, 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 84. So I forgot their rules. So it's Jay-Z's turn. <laughs> okay, good. I know the answer. Oh, you did. Okay. Uh, the good. answer is about 50% because, uh, you know, you got new stuff you're doing, but also you're dealing with the problems from last release. And I don't think that's 50%, uh, fixing it with the question was whether you devote time to it. So that includes toil in my interpretation. And I think a lot of people are dealing with a lot of toil related to decisions they made in the past to get stuff out sooner. So I'm sticking with 50%. And I'm going to say 50%. Oh, come strong. That's right. <laughs> All right. You thought about that way too deep. I don't think anybody else did when they read this. So for that reason alone, I'm going to say you're wrong. And okay. <laughs> we're going to go with. probably You're probably right. <laughs> uh, let's go 25%. Um, and I'm going to go 25% sticking with the, uh, the times right. here. Okay. So 50, 50 and 25, 25. There we are. And it all adds up to 50. Not really. Yeah. Okay. Right. Carry the one. <laughs> Yo, yeah, it does. Yeah. It's pretty okay. close. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, um, so Jay-Z won and lost all at the same time. Wow. Yes. So it was 50%, about 50%, but it was 38% of the vote. Oh, okay. That's impressive. So pretty good though. I mean, if you round up, that might be like the first time Jay-Z's ever won in the history of the show. It might be. Right. While yeah. still but losing. Still, While still, still losing. losing. Oh, yeah. well. That's how I do. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's how I do. Chaos engineer. Chaos engineer. <laughs> All right. Well, how about this one? Uh, I, I'll give you a quick joke before we go, because I just wanted to let you know that our wedding was so beautiful, even the cake was in tears. Oof. Wait for it. Alan's thinking. I see the eyes looking around like, wait, what? Cake was in tears? Yeah. Oh, I got it. <laughs> <laughs> That's my favorite it, part of these. You did? Yeah, I got it instantly because, you know, yeah, I'm not, right. I'm not, I'm <laughs> good on you. That's how you win and lose <laughs> at the same time. Of course he got it. I was thinking Costco's got good cakes. They get that trace con leche. <laughs> they do have good cakes. Wait, over yeah. Publix though? Cause, oh, not even close. I mean, Publix. Yeah. Not even close. 
Wait, then, Publix has one Publix kind of cake. Is not close to to Costco in no. terms of their quality of cakes. No, sir. Okay, no. come on. I this is where like I just know that Alan has like he's drinking the Costco Kool Aid and he's like, "Let's tell you." Oh, ask God, anybody. Everything, everything there is Costco is better. Like, you ask know, Mike you need new G, tires. Ask anybody, man. The, yep. the, the tires at Costco are way better than the tires you'll get anywhere else. You want you no, also same tires. a also hot dog, you want a cake, you want whatever. Broccoli. Salmon. Okay, I can't even. Jay-Z, this. are they better than Publix cakes? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, totally. And they have different kinds. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, dude. Not even close. <laughs> okay. Never. I'm gonna buy me. you a cake. What no. kind of cake you like, outlaw? I'm gonna get. I'm gonna buy I'm telling you, you a cake like from Costco. When it when it's when it's birthday time, because I I don't I try to stay away from them because I'm like they're just deadly. But when it's birthday time, I'm like, okay, you know what? I can splurge. I can have a slice of the the buttercream icing from uh cost from Publix. See, now you got me saying mm-hmm. it. Yep, I almost said it. Yeah, you're gonna you're gonna learn one day. Nah. But but no no no. Like, what kind of cake is it that you want? Because I'm gonna buy you one from Publix and I'm gonna buy you one from Costco and we're gonna eat. See, this is why. No, I can't. I, listen to this. I already can't do this. I'd have to like go mountain biking like 85 miles just to burn off a slice of that, and then you'd be like, "All right, now here's your Costco cake." <laughs> That's right. Yeah, it's gonna be big too. You know that they are. Oh yeah, so it's big. another thing too. Like the whole Costco cake is probably like the size of a football field. You're like, but I only paid fifteen dollars for it. That's right. And you can feed everybody at Costco with it. They're amazing, man. Like I actually won the Guinness Book of World Records for largest cake as I was purchasing this. It's crazy. <laughs> it's very efficient. Uh, you know, a lot, lot, not a lot of toil involved in those calories. That's right. That's right. All right. Well, since we're talking about toil, I thought I'd ask for this episode. Does your job include any toil? And your answers, your choices are, your answers, let me just tell you your answer. No, your choices are, of course it includes some, but it's a reasonable amount. Or, this topic is opening my eyes to how much toil my job has. Or, I think my job includes too much toil, but my team won't do anything to change it. Or, oh my God, if you remove the toil from my job, I'd have no job left. (laughs) All right, fine then, Mr. Smarty Pants, who's like, you know, I knew tears off the top of my head. What's <laughs> I didn't br- actually. Joe, this one's Joe only. All right. All right. What's brown and sticky? Uh, toffee. A stick. Uh, <laughs> it's pretty, hey, toffee too, though. Toffee. <laughs> Dude, the- <laughs> That might be my favorite. That's good. Because I got dogs, you know, so it took me a minute to think of something I could say on the radio. You know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, the radio? What's that? A- Dude, I yeah. swear, when he said that, I was thinking of uh, um, Adam Sandler with the AM radio. <laughs> yeah, just press number three on your eight track. That's right. <laughs> oh, good times. This episode is sponsored by Shortcut. Have you ever been really happy with your project management tool? Most are either too simple for a growing engineering team to manage everything or too complex for anyone to want to use them without constant prodding. Shortcut is different, though, because it's better. Shortcut is project management built specifically for software teams, and they're fast, intuitive, flexible, and powerful. So let's look at some of these highlights. We got team-based workflows. 
Individual teams can use shortcuts, default workflows, or customize them to match the way they work. Organization-wide goals and roadmaps. The work in these workflows is automatically tied into larger company goals. It takes one click to move from a roadmap to a team's work to individual updates and vice versa. Tight version control integrations, whether you use GitHub, GitLab, or Bitbucket, shortcut ties directly to them so you can update progress from the command line. They have a keyboard-friendly interface. The rest of Shortcut is just as keyboard-friendly with their power bar, allowing you to do virtually anything without touching your mouse. And iterations planning. You can set weekly priorities and then let Shortcut run the schedule for you with accompanying burndown charts and other reporting. So give it a try at shortcut.com slash codingblocks. Again, that's shortcut.com slash codingblocks. Shortcut because you shouldn't have to project manage your project management. All right. So here we go back into the serious bits. Um, what qualifies as engineering? Anybody? Is this a dad joke? <laughs> it could be probably. <laughs> yeah, I like this. this was, we've already kind of hit on this, but it's basically work that requires human judgment. So computers can't automate engineering, which is, I thought was interesting. Uh, by this definition, it, it's uh, work that produces permanent improvements in a service and requires strategy, a design, des- design-driven approach. So wait a minute. If my work that I do didn't have any strategy involved, am I like not engineering? Probably. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's what I'm I, if doing it didn't, wrong. I mean, really, like if you could find, you know, some like a, you know, unskilled laborer, if you could train a dog to do it, then it's not engineering, right? Uh, it's just going through the motions. If you can show someone else how to do it, if you can provide them instructions, then it's not engineering. It's mechanics. I don't know. Way to take away from my joke. But yeah. I mean, let's get <laughs> Sorry, all serious. I was, I was very excited about training dogs to do stuff. Let's get all serious about it. <laughs> um, I do like this last one there that they mentioned is the more generic or general, the better it is because it can be applied to more than just your service. Right. So, it's it's thinking more holistic about um the services that your group or your company or, or whatever has that you can you know add some some good benefits to yes so uh so let's talk about some typical sre activities uh software engineering um you know basically engineering using software obviously like writing or modifying code that aligns with your strategic vision uh systems engineering Configuring systems, modifying configurations, uh, documenting systems that provide long-term improvements. I kind of feel like there's a lot of blending of those two going on these days, but maybe that's just me. I don't know. I think it's because we live in the Kubernetes world, and it does seem to be intermingled. Yeah. I like the Kool-Aid, though. I like it. Yeah. It's the toil. Well, I was just going to say, like, the, the documenting part, though, wasn't included in – is only included in the systems, not included in the software engineering. Yeah. That's that was interesting. Weird distinction. Yeah, my code is self-documenting. Uh, oh, Uncle Bob stuff. Yeah, okay. I see where you're going <laughs> with that. Yeah, uh, toy. Like, of course, you know, we talked about the percentage of that uh, overhead. So this is um, uh, things that are like administrative work, things you do in like Jira or kind of you know maybe um, you know HR paperwork meetings stuff like that. Uh, also, I guess the retrospectives would be considered that. Yep. Um, you know. Things like that. Fifty uh, percent goal is over a, a few quarters or a year, which is really nice because it gives you a chance to uh, have some 
long periods of focusing on one type of activity and kind of averaging that out over time. Yeah. So it means that like, you know, you could definitely have a month where you spent doing more toil than you would have liked, but over the course of like the quarter or the year, it should level out to be the 50% goal. Right. Yep. And then here's that question we talked about earlier is toil always bad. And we took, you know, I talked a little bit about it and it's probably because it was the last thing I listened to before. It's <laughs> like sitting in the drive through line, listening to uh, this on audiobook, thinking about this. Uh, but the, the fact that some amounts of toil is predictable and repeatable makes uh, some people feel like they're accomplishing something. And, you know, it really feels like work. And there's something nice about saying like, you know, I go here, I shell into this, I get the ticket, I get it approved. You know, there's some comfort and process, I think, for sometimes some people. Um, well, it's it's also like it's kind of it can. I, I, I was thinking of this stuff as kind of like that brain dead kind of stuff that you don't have to really like think about, like, you know, like you just you know what you got to do. You could do it. And as long as you don't like get distracted, like muscle memory will just kick in and you'll just you'll just do it. You know, yeah. So you felt like you accomplished something now, you know, but it's toil, but probably yeah, have you ever thought or said like, it. I hope I just get some stupid, easy tickets to sprint, <laughs> you know, yeah. like you want to get some wins. You get tired of punting on, you get tired of being stuck and be tired of being confused and having meetings about stuff you're supposed to be working on. You just want to be able to like <laughs> close your eyes and get some work done. But yeah, that's um, when I was on the whole big uh, deliberate practice uh, kick. That was something I kept running into too. Is um, you'll see a lot of programmers back then. Uh, the book flow was like popular at the time. This was a couple of years ago, and so people were kind of talking about how to get into flow state with programming. And uh, the deliberate practice stuff that I read at the time was like that's not really great because uh, flow is great for manual tasks. It's great when you're exercising or maybe playing a sport or you know doing um, drills. But it's not great for strategic decision making, right? If you're in the flow state while you're making, you know, those decisions and it's kind of implying that you're on kind of autopilot and you aren't really thinking about what you're doing, where you want to go. It's kind of like when you're doing engineering, you want to be awake, if that makes sense. You know, you want to be considering everything. You don't want it to be routine. That makes sense. That actually makes a lot of sense. That's not fun because the flow feels good, right? Yeah. Like those days when you like clock in at you know, nine and next, you know, it's like five or six and you're like, Hey, I feel great. Let's go. Let's go mountain biking. Yeah. All right. So, but some of the amount of toil is expected and unavoidable, right? So there's gonna be some things yep. that I was trying to think of like an example though, of like, uh, in our day to days, like what's some examples of like toil that you can't get around. Right. I think alerts like like um if if there's an alert that you know there's some one of your systems is running too high on CPU or or there was a but that there was a be five an example right because you could automate that to where you just you could. scale out to a new pod you could what if there's a 500 error or something mm-hmm. that that pops up right like the toil might be investigating that thing um until you get a chance to automate whatever or fix whatever that problem was um I mean, there's, there's all kinds of interrupts like that. So let's say new errors that are, that pop up when you get an alert for a new error that you hadn't seen before, that would be an example of like unavoidable toll. I can't say the word because it's going to require digging into some logs and going through some stuff. Like you haven't made any state changes to anything at that point. Right. So, um, 
And maybe you have to go do something like me. I don't know. Maybe, maybe something was triggering that 500. You have to go manually clean it up, right? Like that's toil. So that's, um, but, but seeing that air for the first time and dealing with it though, that's an, that's an example of where toil isn't bad. Right. You see that error right. second time because <laughs> right. you didn't fi- bother to fix it the first time after you went and investigated it, then maybe it is bad. Cause like if you spend time <laughs> looking into it a second time, I, I'll give you an example. If there's manual steps that you have to run in your deployment process, right? That's toil. Um, if you can't just say, Hey, go deploy this thing and, and be off and, and just come back when it's done, then that's toil, right? Like if you have to go in there and manually adjust some things or copy and paste some values or, or, or maybe, do any number of steps. Maybe you can toil. even argue the fact that you had to like go in there and start the process. Possibly. Well, I mean, depending on what, what thing is, but like, let's say you're deploying to a new environment, maybe, you know, that that's going to, that requires some judgment, right? Like I'm not just trying to update an existing dev site or a QA site or something or, or something like that. But, but yeah, like that kind of stuff that you have to do every single time you go in to do a task, that's toil, right? It, because chances are it's the same steps you got to take over and over and over. Yeah, see, like they do use the word unavoidable, which makes me think that it's not automatable for whatever reason. So right. maybe that would be getting sign off from QA or something. But then you're kind of bleeding into like administrative type tasks. You know, like if you need to go get sign off on people in order to get released, released to a staging environment, and then you got to go get sign off and then get released in production. Mm-hmm. In some environments, you just have to do that. You know, like, of course, we all want that multiple releases a day, but there are some industries and governments and stuff that you just can't be releasing like that and require just more regulation. But the whole like require sign off thing though, sounds like administrative yeah. overhead. Like that sounds like toil because um, that could be you know, in my mind. I'm like, well, why couldn't you just put in some tests then to check, to verify that like whatever they're going to do to like sign off, you know, quote sign off on it. Why couldn't that be like a test or, you know, something that was automated to say like, yep, it passed. It's good enough. If well, it, and if it passes all these, like go back to the DevOps handbook. If it passes all these things, then fine, deploy it automatically. Well, you could take a step back, right? Like maybe, I don't know, maybe there's something that somebody has to check, but even then it shouldn't be anything where, where you as a developer or an SRE has to go in and do anything. You know, once it enters the state, all tests are passed. QA goes and just clicks a button because they're notified of it, right? Like you shouldn't have to go tap QA on the shoulder and be like, Hey, um, that finished. You know, can you go take a look at it now? That's toil, right? I I, I don't know. It, it's I'm sure there are situations that I can't think of off the top of my head of why you can't just auto release something just because it passes all the tests. Um, you know, I can think of times when it's not unavoidable, but it's not worth it. Like if you're doing a major upgrade of a database or something, that might be something that you could script, you know. But it's something that you do once every couple of years, you know. Like it's better to just do it on a weekend and have a team around and just kind of, you know budget some extra time for that. Um, I don't see that as toil though. I mean, because every, every upgrade to a system introduces things that you can't anticipate, can't expect. So that, that to me is more of that, that has long-term state benefits. Like that's one of the things they mentioned. That's not toil, right? Like you upgraded the state of your database, which means you probably got security improvements, all that kind of stuff. So the end state is better than what you started in. So to me, that's not toil. The toil would be if every time that you go to run um, your deploy, you have to go touch the database for some reason, then that should be automated, right? Like, the, I don't know. Well, here's, here's, uh, this is going to be controversial. 
uh, <clears throat> prepare. So, uh, but I mean, Jay Z just said something that to me was kind of like a trigger because, uh, here goes, uh, I'm going to get some hate for this, but like and he was like, well, you know, QA has to like pass judgment on her or anything. And I, you know, immediately in my mind, I was like, well, man, like if, if QA is like having them go and manually do things like that is definitely toil. Like that's, you know, in the, in that, the way he described that, that was like a whole group that's nothing but toil. Like in my, in my mind, I was thinking like, well, the utopia would be that the QA team is writing tests that, you know, that they want to see happen, you know, independent of what you've maybe developed, right? Like, Hey, this is the way it's supposed to work. And I'm going to write code to verify that it does that kind of thing. Um, almost kind of like a test driven development, but you know, you're kind of separating out the, the developer from the, the testing or the tester part of that. But, uh, you know, and then, and then that way there's no like, Oh, well let's get QA to sign off on it because they've written test for it. So you either saw the test pass or you didn't. I think that's perfect. Like, I think that's the goal, but like, if you think about like some industries and stuff, like, uh, I was just thinking like banking or like taxes, you know, like, uh, Intuit, like where they publish H and R block or whatever turbo tax every year. Like, you know, it's kind of a big deal. They're not, they're not releasing that 10 times a day or a hundred times a day. You know, it's like big releases that have to be communicated. They have to work with government regulators on changes. You know, they have dates that they commit to in order to kind of keep up with contracts and stuff in order to be able to like submit stuff to, you know, these federal institutions that don't move that fast. And these things take a long time. And so there are these kind of slower gates. And so, you know, I think some industries have some slower processes and, and sometimes, you know, like more traditional kind of QA type roles might work out better for those kind of cases where it is more kind of waterfall and process and, uh, you know, so in, in a perfect world, like QA, I think would be automating 100% of the time. Like that would be their jobs all day. They're automating and, and coming up with test cases. And so the strategy part is coming up with the, you know, things that they're going to automate and go after and, you know, how they measure and all that stuff. But, um, we should probably do some stuff on testing. But, uh, anyway, uh, yeah, we did you know, do an episode on unit testing, by the way, in a minute. Well, I just mean, I mean more like just around the whole, like, uh, you know, integration tests, the strategies around testing, like coming up with test plans, uh, managing environments. Like, there's probably really good books on it, but more than just the technical side of it, right? QA engineering is that a thing? Probably. All right. So back to this. the The next thing that they that they bring up here is when the amount of time on toil becomes too large, like you're spending too much time on it. They said that you should actually, as a person, as an SRE, you should be concerned and complain loudly, which I found really interesting. But it makes sense. So. There are potential issues when there are large amounts of toil for you individually and for the company as well. So one is career stagnation. And I thought this was really interesting. Like they don't want you to be stagnated in your position at Google. If you're spending, if you're not spending enough time on projects and you're spending too much time on toil, your your career progression will actually suffer. Um, because you're not strengthening your engineering capabilities, you're not you're not adding that value to the company, right? Or even to to your own role. Um, but then also, and you've probably seen this for teams that deal with with constant toil type tasks, is low morale. You know, you get you get 
burnout, it typically becomes boring after some amount of time, right? Like when you're doing the same thing every day, like, oh, the thing crashed again. Let me go restart IS. Let me go do this. Like it gets old and then you become discontent, right? So it it's not good for you personally and it's not good for the team and it's not good for the company. You know, like a stereotypical example here is like the old IT help desk. You're like, did you turn it on and off again? Like, you imagine, like, you know, there's like the IT crowd, like, type shows where you get the same types of crust every day. It's like, can you fix my printer? I'm locked out of my account. You know, that sort of thing. Um, firewall changes. Can't imagine. So I was, I was curious. I went back and looked to find when we talked about uh, testing, unit testing. It's been a minute. <laughs> Episode <laughs> it's, said. 20. It, okay. So, so I know the book. The art of unit testing. Uh, I don't even know if that was the book that we talked about at the time. I don't uh, think we talked about a book. Yeah. Well, kinda. So, um, episode twenty. Coincidentally, it was just coincidence that Jay Z was right. That's all it was. <laughs> <laughs> but that was the first one, <clears throat> and the art of unit testing was mentioned in there, as well as like some others. Like Code Complete was uh, another book that was referenced in that during that episode. We talked about it again, though, in episode 54, as it relates to uh, clean code book. So 54 and 20. Wow. So I'm kind of because episode 54, I mean, that's the newest of that pair. (laughs) That was that was January of 2017. So I, I don't know. Maybe we've like got a difference of opinion from then. Till now, well, clearly, clearly testing's dead. I mean, if we haven't talked Clear. about it in five years, it's just not even a thing anymore. And, and episode 20 was from 2014, December of 2014. So, you know, wow. wow, it's it's been a few episodes since we talked about it, but but only wow. by a few. Wow, that's, that's pretty awesome. Um, all right, so. Too much toil also hurts the SRI, SRE team, right? Because they're not able to focus on the projects. This one, this next one was really interesting to me. <laughs> I think their wording is really what's interesting because they say it creates confusion. Um, if the SRE team is supposed to be an engineering team and they're not getting to do engineering, then that means that the goal of the team is not matching what they're actually doing. So confusing seems to be the wrong term to me. It's more like uh, they're probably annoyed. Right? Is it, it, they're not confused? They're irritated. Yeah, it's bad to have a directive that's kind of ignored too, because there's going to be some people who are probably on the team. They're like, "Hey, this isn't right. We need to change." There's some people that probably don't want to, and yeah, it shouldn't be discussion, right? You like decide on the rules ahead of time. Uh, so is progress as well. So the team will be less predictive, uh, productive if they're focused on toil. Um, sets a bad precedent. If you take on too much regularly, uh, then it tends to kind of accrue and you find yourself doing more similar type tasks and it kind of, yeah, it sets a precedent, right? Yeah. Cause there's sets, sets they'll, the tone. They'll be like, Oh, that's the toil team. Let's just mm-hmm. give it to them to yeah. deal with. Totally. Yep. Like they're already doing this and that it's not too far off, uh, promotes, uh, attrition. So people will leave and, uh, yeah. They, yeah. yeah the, the interesting thing here is they say you lose the talented engineers, right? Because they'll get fed up. Hey, if I'm not going to actually get to write any software or update these things, then why am I here? I, I'm not trying to be tech support all day, every day. Yep. 
I like this last one too. Uh, causes a breach of faith. So if someone joins the team uh, and they don't get to do any of that engineering, they're going to feel like they were sold a, a bill of goods. <laughs> you hear a lot, a lot about that where, um, you know, companies all have the interesting inter- interview where you're kind of doing the whiteboard stuff and then you get an actual job. Same thing goes for, uh, you know, SRE stuff. You join, take a job at a company expecting to do human <laughs> tasks and they got you, uh, I don't know, moving backups or something. Well, the joke um, that we, you know, our, our joke, before or historically on the show has been like, you have this like really complicated uh, interview, like how many golf balls can fit inside of a 747, uh, you know, or something like whatever, you know, like all these weird, like abstract math problems that you get asked for, you know, like here's an array, find the missing number without sorting it or whatever, you know? And, and yeah, you're like, okay, well they're like, they asked me some challenging things. They must want me to do some challenging work. Like, that's great. And then you start day one. They're like, okay, we need you to move the logo three pixels to the left. All right. Like, so yeah, I mean, it's not exactly toil, but you know, probably. That's I mean, that. in fairness, if you are somebody that's doing hiring and you're speaking to people like seriously, be honest with them and let them know the type of work that they're going to be expected to do. Cause the, the worst thing that you could do is, is give them this pie in the sky type thing. And then they get in and they're like, yeah, I'm, I'm totally not doing that kind of stuff. Right. Like, yeah, the, yeah it's the, cool to see. Well, I was just gonna say the technical interview has, has evolved into this thing where <laughs> this total rant where, uh, it is not necessarily representative of the job, but it's in the hopes that like, well, what if everybody we hired was just amazing at whatever, blah, 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 blah. blah. And we don't have to do that yet, but until then, we'll just have them doing like, you know, this type of work, like move the logo three pixels to the left. But, you know, something great is going to come along. And, you know, if we go ahead and stack the team with it, then, you know, we'll be there. So, like, you know, you have this like really incredible, incredibly difficult uh, interview. Yeah, it's tough. Because you, you also want interviews to be fair, right? So it's like one thing that's nice about it is you can be a little bit more objective when you ask the same type of people or the same people the same types of questions and kind of try to deal with them in an unbiased way. So it's like I understand why big companies want that sort of thing. You know, they want repeatable processes even if they're flawed. Yeah, but on the flip side though, it's also it's also difficult too because it's like, well, what if the interviews were honest? Like imagine yeah. like honest interviews, right? Like so tell me, uh, how much time do you spend getting coffee? Like just, you know, <laughs> uh, and your, your typical lunch is two hours. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. like how many meetings can you handle in a day before you f- just freak out and stop caring about everything? <laughs> Wait, do they have to be consecutive or can they be broken up? Because my, my ability to care definitely Red goes flag. down. As the contiguous number of meetings go up, stop, stop uh, me! Stop me when you when you think the number is too many meetings per day. Twelve, thirteen, uh, and you're like, wait, why did you start at twelve? Yeah, no, wait, no, no. hold up. We could just interview in the interview right here. We could tell that this isn't going to go very well. <laughs> the lower bound. Wait, wait, wait! I thought yeah. that was the upper bound. No, 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 no! You didn't read it right. <laughs> <laughs> wait a uh, minute oh wait wait <laughs> uh, all right so the last two things we have here oh the sre like slogan that they had sort of at the end of this was let's invent more and toil less which i think that's awesome that's that's really cool and then commit to cleaning up a bit more toil each week with engineering activities right so solve it in an automated um you know machine driven way and I promise we will never say the word toil again. 
We are done with it. It is dead to us. <laughs> we don't even know how to spell it. Because it hurts. Did you see what I tweeted? Uh, <laughs> no. I control F'd our notes for uh, that word uh, 40 times in the notes, and we said it a whole lot more. <laughs> oh, that's, <laughs> that's awesome. <clears throat> you know, All right. Joe, well, uh, yeah, you said the last part about committing. Um, what type of music do balloons hate? Pop. Pop. Yes. Pop music. Wow. Joe's doing good today. Like he's, he's on a roll, man. Yeah. Are you going to play the lottery after this? Like you probably should never. Uh, okay. So we'll have some links uh, to resources we like uh, as part of this episode. And with that, we head into Alan's favorite portion of the show. It's the tip of the week. Yeah. So, so I am probably extremely late to the game. I'll admit here. Um, Python's been around for a minute or two, I think. Um, and there's this thing. It's not a trash panda, but it's called pandas. And I kind of fell in love with it this past week. So here's the situation. I'll tell you what it is. And I'm going to, I don't have my code in here right now. It's literally four lines of code to do what I needed to do here. Um, but I'll get that into the show notes so that you can see it. But here was the gist of what I had. I had a big GCS bucket. So a Google um, storage bucket, similar to AWS S3 or whatever, if you're familiar with that or Azure blob storage, whatever. This thing had millions of objects in one directory. And if you know anything about blob storage on most of these platforms, they don't give you the ability to sort by anything except the name of the file. And they do that on purpose because it's just a ton of blobs. Well, I needed to find out what my biggest blobs were and what my smallest ones were so that I could have an idea of what was going on. And so I started writing a program and I was like, man, this stinks because the only way to get it, by the way, is to list the entire bucket, right? Like you have to list it all out and get the stuff. So in, in my world, that's like a GSUtil um, LS-L to get more detail and to list that bucket out. So what I ended up doing instead of writing a program, because I started doing it, I was like, man, there's got to be a better way. <clears throat> so I essentially did the GSUtil ls-l and then my bucket name, and then I did a uh, redirect to a file, right? So that I could, um, so a greater than, and then, you know, my list of files.txt. So after GSUtil finished running, which was probably 20 minutes on millions of items in that bucket in that particular folder, then what I was able to do is load up Python, which, by the way, this should be my tip of the week as well. I might have used it before IPython. I, I think I might have mentioned this before. Um, loaded up IPython. I imported pandas after I did a pip install of pandas. And it was literally, literally two lines of code. One, to import the file from its TXT format into a data frame. And then one more command that basically did a group by of the um, the units, which I had done an ls-lh to give me human readable. So it would tell me whether it was in megabytes or gigabytes or whatever. And actually it was mebibytes and gibibytes. And if you don't know what that is, look it up. Um, wow. <laughs> so it'll be a fun exercise. Uh, you can't give away everything, how, right? How can the tip of the week be like, Go figure it out. <laughs> that's right. That's right. RTFM. <laughs> um, so, 
So at any rate, what was so amazing is I could basically do a group by of this text file and say, hey, group by the units and show me the max men average of the, the sizes in there. So I could easily look over millions of files what my what my biggest file was, what my smallest was, and what the average size was. And I average honestly crap though. I mean we shouldn't averages are crap. They're they're completely <laughs> useless. I don't even know why they're a part of math. Um but seriously I think this this entire operation loading the millions of records and doing the stats and all that was like fifteen seconds or less. Four lines of code using pandas. So I mean look I've done a lot of data imports over the years using SQL Server and other tools, and I swear to you, I've never done anything that works so painlessly as loading this data into the Python Pandas app and doing this stuff. Like it, it was mind blowing. So, and I believe behind the scenes, uh, Mike, I think you know this better than than I do. Doesn't Jupyter Notebooks they use Pandas behind the scenes, maybe or or? Well, it's not that Jupyter Notebooks is necessarily using it. It's just a, a library that you can use inside of Jupyter. Uh, so I've got plenty of notebooks where I've written using like uh, Pandas and NumPy, for example, or like, you know, like two okay. of the, like that and uh, Matplotlib would be like, you know, those three are like the common go-tos for any kind of like uh, data analysis that, you know, I mean, your mileage may vary, but you know, that I've, that I've done like those three are common. Well, I, I was in love. So there, it's um, so super powerful. I mean, it, it's, it's the ease of getting to use the power that is, that is the part that's so beautiful. Right. So, um, yeah, man, go check that out. Um, like I said, there'll be code and a link to pandas up here and, and I ran mine in Docker, right? Like I didn't want to put all that mess on my system. I mean, we've talked about these virtual environment things in Python before and how they're trash. <laughs> Save the hate mail. I'm kidding. But I ran it in a Docker container, super easy, and it was it was amazing. So, yeah, that's all. All right. Well, I have uh, one that I think is pretty cool. Uh, you remember that book many years ago? It was popular called Seven Languages in Seven Weeks. Yes. Yeah. So it's was, it was cool. Like each chapter was a different language, and it had to kind of do different problems. And, and there's been a couple of things that have kind of spun off of that since that. There was a Seven Databases in Seven Weeks book. There's you know people write blog posts and stuff and kind of arrange it in that way. And this is one of those. This person put together a blog post and detailed uh, seven user interfaces, some you know, graphical user interfaces that you could build in order to uh, – the goal is basically kind of give you a nice representation of what kinds of things you do in UIs. And if you think about that, just kind of step back and think like what seven UIs you would build or ask people to build in order to kind of do that. Uh, it's, it's kind of a tough challenge, especially to come, you know, come up with seven. And so if you look at it, the first one is just building a counter. It gives you the the understanding of basic ideas of kind of like language and, and toolkit. It's basically the most simple thing you do. You push a button and a number goes up. The next one, temperature converter, goes into bidirectional data flows, like two, two-way binding, um, you know, where you can change the Fahrenheit on one side, the Celsius on the other. Like, okay, that, you can see how that's kind of like a, a different yet common challenge. Uh, Flight Booker is the third one constraints there so maybe um, you drop change something in a drop down and it affects other things on the form right that's kind of the dole here and so each one you're kind of leveling up a timer you get into concurrency uh crud apps you know just different things around kind of creating and showing and things like that it gets into circle drawer which is pretty cool uh ideas there being things like undo and redo so if, if you're interested at all in ui design and and not i don't really mean pretty graphics but it's just actual like kind of user interface the very you know most basic level 
this is a really cool one to check out. I, I have to mention the last one, of course, which is basically uh, Excel. You're going to de- be dealing some stuff with cells where you make a change in one cell, and maybe it changes the sum. And so it has these kind of cascading effects, which is a cool challenge. So I like the idea of like, if, you know, if you are interested in human usable user interfaces, then this is like uh, kind of a cool thing to work through. So you'll have that link in the show notes. So, uh, Alan, you're already shaking your head. Why are you shaking your head? Dude, that sales challenge? Like, no. Oh. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I haven't looked at anything else in the show notes, but no, that, that sales channel challenge, that one where he's talking about building like an Excel sheet, I can't even imagine the pain that that's got to be. So, yeah, yeah, yeah you got to work to that one. There's a reason it's last. Yeah. Uh, yeah, imagine when you like have to like write other worksheets to reference previous worksheets. I mean, now, now writing read, the first one is like bad enough. Oh, what what did you read? Oh, yeah, now, read? now I read the line on 173 we got here. <laughs> oh, what does that say, Alan? Uh, it says trolling to Alan. I'm oh, 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 oh. <laughs> well, so. <clears throat> so 21. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, at the start of this episode, uh, we were talking about, or, or even before we we started recording, we, we were talking about like how my world here lately has been crazy writing like, uh, you know, just, uh, in a, you know, Linux type of world, but just, you know, writing one command, piping it to the next, piping it to the next, piping it to the next, you know, or just writing like, you know, uh, what should probably be a bash script, but, you know, in one line and like looping through a bunch of data or whatever, doing whatever you have to do. So when you were describing this problem of the GSUtil, ls minus lh blah 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 and like how you're like okay well let me go write uh some python to deal with that i'm like really like why didn't you just pipe it to sort (laughs) but then you did start getting into some like other uh legitimately like you had some other use cases there where you're doing like uh using like the stats from pandas to get like this uh you know, min max average standard deviations, whatever of your sizes and everything. So that was my first attempt. Just so you know. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Oh, Oh, not was to use the sort command. You use the sort. Yeah. I was going to try it, but then I was like, man, this is so big and it's going to take so long. Um, that, and it wasn't going to give me all, all the information I needed. So yeah, but that was my first attempt. Yeah. But that was immediately what came to mind was like, why don't you just use a sort command? But then you sort said, dash like, you K sort yeah. dash K two. Yeah, that's that was what I was. Yeah, K being the column that you wanted to sort by, and then dash N for numeric, and then yep. you could just like pass in your file and whatever. Or you Didn't could just work. pipe it. You could have just done the gsutil and then pipe that into or like you know into yeah pipe that into sort and then blah 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 whatever. Yes. So it was just you know kind of a funny uh, to do, but that wasn't my real tip of the week though. <clears throat> so. The real uh, tip of the week that I have one was that that was pretty cool that was uh, shared with us earlier today by a coworker was that um, if you use Minikube, like we love Minikube and you should love Minikube, uh, if you're doing any kind of Kubernetes work, the here's the quick elevator pitch on Minikube. If you're not already using Minikube, Minikube makes it super simple, like stupid simple to Use a Kubernetes-like environment locally that you can specify the version of Kubernetes that you want to use so that you can match your production environment or, you know, where your, your test environment, whatever environment you need to, to do it. They make it super simple 
easy to uh, so that you can specify that version. Unlike, and sadly, Docker Desktop, for example, it's the version of Kubernetes is tied to the version of Doc- Docker Desktop. So, you know, if you've already installed the latest and greatest Docker Desktop, well, guess what version of Kubernetes you're getting? That one. Um, so there's the sales pitch on Minikube. And the problem with that, though, is that if you uh, use Minikube's Docker environment uh, as your Docker environment, which is what I, the way I work, uh, there's, you know, you can do an eval statement. Like there's a Minikube command. I think it's like Minikube minus P, and then you specify the profile name, and then you would say something like Docker dash E and V. And if you were to do an eval of that, you could actually like set your uh, host Docker commands to use Minikube's Docker daemon to, to execute all your stuff, right? Um, and there's like, you know, if you want to use, uh, I think Podman, there's support for Podman or Rancher as well. But, you know, in this case, I mentioned Docker. Um, the, the thing, though, is that now what's technically happening there is Minikube is running in a VM as your Kubernetes cluster. And any of your Docker builds, technically those images live inside of that VM. And the issue that Alan ran into was he wanted to be able to Docker run one of those images, but pass in a volume from his host operating system into that thing. And Minikube will like happily act as like a facade, you know, for that and, and, and just uh, give you a false positive of like, yeah, I'm going to mount that. Sure. It'd be fine. But really it's not, it's not passing through your, your host operating systems volume is not passing through to the guest VM that is Minikube that is then passing it on to another guest that is the Docker image inside of Minikube that you're going to run as a container. And what you can do if you wanted to bring that out externally to the host so that you can do run it is you can use the Minikube image save command to bring that image out from the Minikube VM to your host operating system. And now your host operating system has the image. You could Docker run and mount volumes and everything will work just fine. Hey, real quick. I do. I I do want to say what you said very simply on the Minikube thing. Don't think that you can use, just say, make Minikube your Docker daemon and everything will be good because what what Outlaw was saying is if you Docker run an image that Minikube has and you try to mount a volume, it will act like it does it. But if you go in and you look at that volume inside that running container, it'll be empty because it does not actually mount the volume. It looks like it does and it acts like it does. But when you get in there, there's nothing in it. So um, it has been the cause of probably hours lost between multiple people dealing with that kind of stuff. So I've even yeah. forgotten about it. And then like gone back looking like, why is this not working? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it's frustrating because it, it's truly the, the Docker demon that will run inside Minikube looks like it's perfect until you realize that it's just not working the way now, that it should. Now that said, I do take uh, I take issue with what you said about like you know you just use the Minikube Docker daemon. It's fine. Like it's great. Uh, no, no, don't do it. <laughs> yeah, I think it's fine because you don't you didn't need the Docker daemon to do the run, right? Or no, I guess you did. No, you did. That was, yeah, whatever. If you're, yeah, no, it's not good. 
No bueno. You could, uh, on like those get rid of all of it. few times that you need it, whatever. You could do what, Joe? Let's get rid of all of it. I've been messing around with uh, at home with uh, Rancher Desktop. Yeah. Uh, which is pretty nice. So you can choose to do either Docker D for the daemon or container D. Uh, you still need something to build. So like Podman or Docker is going to be fine for the actual building. Uh, but it's pretty cool. So it runs on K3S, which you can kind of think is like a being somewhat of a competitor, competitor to MicroKates or sorry, a uh, Minikube. But um, the way they run Kubernetes is kind of different. They strip out like older APIs and a few other things. They just don't just flat out don't support it. And use the SQLite instead of etcd. But um, because of that, it's you know it's not high availability. It's definitely not uh, as resilient. But what I like about it over um, Minikube is you can run it on multiple nodes. Not something you want to do for you know production probably, especially you know running on SQLite. But it's nice for local. And uh, it's just a lower memory footprint overall because of probably because of the stuff that they just decided flat out they're not going to support. So I don't even know if K3S is technically Kubernetes because it supports a, a subset. The subset that it does support is like the most common stuff that you're probably using. It's a certified distribution. Kubernetes oh, it is. Distribution. Okay, so, cool. Yeah. I thought uh, it was supposed to run on ARM. Wasn't K3S supposed to be an ARM specific? ARM, yeah. ARM64, ARM uh, V7. Uh, yeah, it, I mean, it's like for I, edge IOT devices, ARM. Right. And it looks and feels like uh, Docker Desktop. So if you're used to Docker Desktop, it's basically a drop-in. It's almost like tab per tab. But when you uh, enable Kubernetes, you can pick your version. I was trying to remember like the reason for the name for it, though. Like there was something clever about the reason why it was called K3. Wasn't it because they dropped like five somethings of it? Uh, yeah. <laughs> It's Kunities or something. Who knows? So, uh, all right. So one more tip of the week though. Um, so I've been doing a lot of like, uh, trying to optimize things like related to Docker and whatnot and Docker caching and things like that here in, uh, you know, my past days. And, uh, one option that if you haven't already used, so if you, Okay, let me just back up. So with Docker, your typical Docker command or Docker file, you're going to have like from and some base image, and then you're going to do some other things. You might copy some stuff in, you might run some things, whatever, right? And that's like your, you know, that's, it's almost kind of like a vanilla Docker file, but I kind of want to think of it as more like the happy path because it's so much easier if that's all you have to do. But there's also other things that you can do like, that are multi-stage Docker files where you can have like from some image as, and you can name it as, you know, base. And then another from later on where you say from some other image and you could call that like as dev or, you know, whatever, like you can give these things, whatever names are. So you could have like multiples of these things that are all stacking on top of one another that, you know, you can build in one of those stages and copy from that stage into a later stage or whatever. The problem with it though, is that from a caching perspective, it's awful. It's awful from a caching perspective because the, the straight up Docker builds just don't like them uh, from a caching perspective uh, as well, because what's going to happen is let's say uh, okay. First of all, let me, let me clear some things. Cause somebody's probably like, wait a minute. So if you built, let's say you had a Docker file that had five stages in it and you built it locally, then yeah, you have all five of those stages cached and a subsequent rebuild of it, it's going to be fine. Right. But 
let's pretend you don't live in that world where you can like maintain the cache locally on your computer. And instead you're like pulling from a, a repository or some kind of shared cache, right? The only thing in that case that is typically going to be cached is the final stage. So when you do your Docker build of that, of that five stage uh, Docker file, the first four, it's going to be like, well, I guess we got to rebuild them only to then get to the end and say, Oh, I already had, I already have this cached. I'm fine. Right. Well, you can use the Docker build dash dash target uh, option. And what that'll do is whatever your names are inside of those, uh, that Docker file. Like, so I said like as base and as dev, uh, for example, you can set, you can specify that as the target you want to build up to. And when you do that, what you can do is then Docker push those stages. You know, you could tag those stages like any other Docker image. You can, you can tag those, push those up to whatever your, your repository is that you're using for the cache. And then in subsequent builds later on, you could pull those individual stages down. And then in your next Docker build, like, you know, take advantage of the cache. So cool. Yeah. Excellent. Or yeah, not. I looked at or not. I liked it. Uh, <laughs> I looked up uh, K3S the joke with it. Uh so Kubernetes is a ten letter word frequently uh abbreviated as K A S. So K three S uh is you add up the total number of letters, it's ten. Or sorry, it's five, half of ten. So the idea is uh that and that ties in with our original goal of being basically half the uh, memory footprint as other Kubernetes distribution. So wait, uh, how's it five K three S? Yeah. yeah, well, it's the three plus the K and the S gets you to K3S, you know, five. Uh, but Kubernetes, K-A-S, is a 10-letter word with K, eight letters in between, and then an S. But if I were to count on my fingers, Joe, math and chicken, hold on, watch me. K yeah. is one, yeah. three is two, S is three. How is that not the three? It should be K yeah. plus three plus S. Uh, yeah, because Kubernetes, the eight represents the eight letters that aren't shown there. Okay, okay. And what are the yeah. three letters that aren't being shown in? There aren't any. <laughs> it's oh, just so literally the joke is they wanted to half the uh, the half the size of Kubernetes. See, sort of got it. What you should have said is it's UBE. It's UBE because then it'd be cubes. Oh, nice. Well, I like it too. It's funny because um, uh, three is also, you know, if you were to cut the number eight kind of in half, it kind of looks like a three. Oh. So it's just kind of clever all around. But no, there's no word behind it. See, when you nothing. when you were telling us a minute ago, I thought you were trying to say that like, well, if you divide eight in half, it's three. And I'm like, oh, it strikes right. again. I know. So you cut it in time. half. Yeah. If you slice it in half, the actual character. Yeah. Okay. Well. Good stuff. How about, how about if I end with a... Uh, a bit of advice because you, you know how you've heard that an apple a day keeps the doctor away, but an apple a day also keeps the bullies away. If you throw it hard enough. Nice, nice. <laughs> so with that, subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you, you like to find your podcast. I hope we're there. Uh, if not, Hey, let us know and uh, we can figure that out. So sort that out. Uh, I'll open up a, a Jira ticket for Jay Z and, you know, he can submit a pull request to Alan and we'll get it all sorted out. Um, right. Like I said earlier, uh, Dev definitely used my recommendation, not 
uh, Jay-Z's. But uh, if you w- haven't already left us a review, we would greatly appreciate it. You can find some links at www.codingblocks.net slash review. Hey, and don't toil about it so much. Head up to <laughs> codingblocks.net and check out our show notes, examples, Wait, discussions, and more. Said we wouldn't say it again. Oh, did we say that? I missed it. Yeah, yeah um, we have to beep it out. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, you can also send your questions, feedback, and rants to Jay Z at the Slack channel. Um, uh, any negative reviews can go directly there. Yep, yep. Um, <laughs> so, I'd love to hear those uh, that negativity. Just send it to me. Uh, and we also have a Twitter account uh, at Coding Blocks if you want to, I don't know, send us a cat picture or whatever. Uh, we'd love to see that. It sounds good. It sounds good right now. It does. Uh, and Coding Blocks has all our social links at the top of the page. 